Hello everybody, welcome back to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We're back in the summer months to bring you a little bit of an update on what has been a flurry of announcements at Norwich City Football Club. Uh, no, obviously, games on the pitch to discuss, but plenty of it to talk about, to analyse, to discuss, to look ahead to, um, as, of course, Norwich City attempt to change the narrative from a dismal Premier League campaign, turn the dial and uh, hopefully... Um, get some people excited for what is to come. Of course, it is the championship season to look forward to. Preparations are ramping up for that. And we are just a few weeks away now from Norwich City's opening pre-season game against Deerham Town, uh, even even closer to the new fixtures for the season being released. That, of course, is the 23rd of June. But to join me to discuss the happenings of the last week, delighted to be joined by Sam Seaman and Adam Harvey to uh, to look back on what was a fairly hectic week. Uh, and that's not just the killers coming to Carrow Road, which was arguably the best performance that uh, Carrow Road has seen for, for quite some time. Uh, you can also make jokes about the stage in front of the Barclay and keeping that for next season to help with the defence, if you like. But I won't. So you can do that at your own leisure. Um, gents, how are we? It's been a couple of weeks since we since we caught up. Sam, let's let's start with you. How's, how's your summer going? Um, I mean, it's the weather finally feels like it's catching up now. It feels a little bit more summery. It's all a little bit quiet on the Norwich City front, but probably understandably so. Yeah, it's gone pretty slowly, to be honest, apart from those, um, you know, three or four days we had of, of announcements pretty much since we broke that news of the uh, prospective investment in Norwich City. It's been quite quiet besides those. So obviously we're going to look back on that and discuss those things. But to be honest, personally, I'm just looking forward to... um you know, getting back in the the, the cycle of games and, and covering games. Um, obviously, we're not too far away now. Got to think we're not too far away because of that from sort of new kits and stuff. So, yeah, hopefully um, the excitement is going to ramp up in the next few days or next couple of weeks. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I must admit my uh, my summer the last few days has been taken over by watching Joe Root's wonderful batting, which will mean little to some people out there. But um, there we go. So, so I'm not quite in the stage of really missing uh, football on a Saturday. Yeah, it's, it's been quite nice, hasn't it, Adam, given the season that we've just had to have a little bit of a break from it. I think everyone probably needed that, given how dismal and how tough it was to watch by the end of that Premier League season. I don't really think my, my memories of Norwich City season has been helped by watching England over the last week, to be honest. If anything, that's been as bad, if not worse. So, yeah, um, other than that, I am enjoying the, the break away from Norwich City. Uh, I've delved into the world of DIY. Not a new career, just a, a temporary uh, measure at the moment. So, um, yeah, probably a sign I'm getting old and the football needs to come back for that reason. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, there's there's worse things to do with your summer. Um, I, uh, I've got. Uh, I think my my dad's currently outside pressure pressure washing the uh, patio, which is a typical summer job, isn't it? So um, we're we're definitely at that stage. But uh, alas, let's let's get uh, turn our attentions back to to Norwich City and the football because we've got we've got plenty to discuss. Even though it's uh, it's the off season and it's um, approaching about a month since Norwich City were beaten by Spurs. Not quite get about about nine days away or so from from that. Um, but let's start with probably the, the most exciting of, of the news that we've had from in, in, in the last week from the football club, the news that Isaac Hayden is through the door, the first um, summer edition, the first um, piece of Dean Smith's jigsaw. He's waited seven months to make a, a new signing at Norwich City. And that comes in the form of Isaac Hayden as the very first one. It, it, it sounds like, and, and from what we gather, this was a signing very much led by him. And I think we've reported probably since about mid-April that um, we were expecting Dean Smith to have a bit more of a sway in terms of Norwich City's recruitment. That looks like um, that is what has happened here. Sam, if I throw it over to you, Isaac Hayden, what, what are your thoughts on on that addition to Norwich City's squad? Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up Dean Smith's hand in it because I think he's the sort of player that, from the the little amount of information we've been able to gather from from what Dean Smith likes in the last few months, he seems to fit um, all of those things. And you wrote a really good piece for the app actually um, about the intangibles, and I think there's a lot of that in this signing. Um, you know, a lot about hard work and attitude, and it, it's a different type of signing to what we maybe saw under Daniel Farker. You know, not not that often will we see in you know English players with with Premier League experience, and I think. Credit to Stuart Webber and for and to Dean Smith for for spotting a, a perfect time to to pounce when a, a player with that amount of experience was available because rarely do you get somebody that's played five consecutive Premier League seasons um, going on loan to to the Championship, um, at, you know, with a probably a, a reasonable fee if if those requirements are met and he does end up at Carrow Road permanently. So um, 
yeah, I think it's a, a pretty good deal, a pretty encouraging deal, and probably one that that rounds up exactly what Dean Smith is looking for in his players. Um, and um, you know, I don't know if this was on purpose or if, if it was just a coincidence, but it feels like quite a statement to me as to the direction things are going forwards in. Yeah, it does feel like a signing that actually the rest of the championship would have sat back and gone, oh dear. It, it felt a little bit like that in terms of name, in terms of someone who, who, who's who got size, got presence, has played the last five years in the Premier League. And it's it's interesting what you said there about Dean Smith, because I remember, uh, and Adam would have been there as well, um, being sat in his first press conference and he was asked the question, what does a Dean Smith team look like? What will a Norwich City team look like under Dean Smith? And, and he immediately um, came back with, it will look like a team that works hard. Uh, and that is almost in line with the first arrival that we've seen on his watch, Adam, which is Isaac Hayden, a player who, as we've discussed, feels like someone who maybe doesn't have the technical elements that we're perhaps used to from Norwich City midfielders under Daniel Farker, but perhaps has that mentality, sets those standards, has those intangibles, those leadership qualities that actually it felt like Norwich City did lack last year at times, particularly in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, it's strange. I think he's the kind of signing that probably most fans would have been happy with if Norwich would have got him last summer in the Premier League, and I actually think he'd have probably given us a, a lot bigger chance of survival. I think his sort of qualities in terms of just being able to, to pass the ball, he's a hard worker, he'll graft in the midfield. And I sort of looked at his stats and, and 41 yellow cards in 197 games. I mean, that gives me flashbacks of Alex Tetty in, in the way that he's just going to you know, be that defensive shield in front of the, the back four or the back five, depends on what system Dean Smith goes with. And I just think it's that ability to win duels, the ability to win the ball back, get it forward for maybe some more technical midfielders that might be in front of him. To, you know, like some Lays Malou, if he gets his opportunities, that can maybe get those passes forward, get the wide men in. And I think Norwich can can build off him. So that's a really good first addition this summer and, and one I was quite pleased with. And I'm probably quite surprised that he's made that step down to the, the championship because obviously that interview that you done with the Newcastle journalist saying that, you know, he's surprised maybe that a, a team that's sort of in that bottom sort of bracket in the Premier League didn't pick him up because he's got the ability there to to play in the Premier League still. Yeah, and it's uh, also read a piece the other day that said it felt like he was one of Newcastle's more saleable assets as well. So the fact that Norwich City managed to get him on a loan, uh, the fact it's kind of performance-based obligations from kind of what I can gather, that is both a combination of promotion and him hitting a certain amount of appearances um, this season. Of course, he's he's had quite a bad knee injury in the last year or so. So I'd imagine that is why that's been inserted. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that transpires, a little bit different from the deals that Norwich City did with Ben Gibson and, uh, and Dimitris Yanoulis to get those to the club, but um, albeit quite similar in terms of structure, really. Um, Sam, I've, I've been slightly surprised, and that's that's partly why I wrote the piece that, that you referenced, that some people have looked at the signing of Isaac Hayden and gone, oh, well, Norwich City aren't going to play attractive attacking football under Dean Smith next season. I don't really see those two things lining up. You look at what Dean Smith has said publicly about this being a side that was constructed to play possession-based football. And then he's also said that actually he he feels at times they're a bit too nice, a little bit too soft. I think we probably saw that in the middle of the pitch. Their defence wasn't given enough protection. You look at some of the top teams, Manchester City have Fernandinho, Liverpool have Fabinho. You can go down the list and, and list them all. Chelsea have had Kante for, for a number of years. Um, even that Barcelona side under Pep Guardiola all those years ago that played total football had had Busquets and, uh, and others in it. Xavi as well, who, who was an excellent footballer, but, but also very switched on defensively. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that Norwich City signing Isaac Hayden means that we're going to see a, a Tony Pulis-esque style of play next season, does it? It just means that Dean Smith has looked at that area of the pitch. We feel he's going to play a 4-3-3 as a number six, someone who can shield the defence, someone who, who can impose a bit of physicality. I think most people who have watched Norwich City over the last year or so would say that that's something that's probably been widely needed since Ollie Skip departed. Yeah, I think that's the the exact key point is that Alex Tetty and, and Ollie Skip were the two alternating in that those defensive positions um, when when Norwich were last promoted and their football was lauded for being beautiful and you know attractive and, and good passing football um, and neither of those two I think was was technically the strongest. You know, you reference the like of the likes of Kante and and players like that. You know, technically Kante isn't as good as even let's say Mario Vrancic, right? But Vrancic was struggling to get in a team that was possession-based and, and technically good, um, kept the ball on the floor and attacked for most of the game. Um, Kante is one of the world's best defensive midfielders in a team that occasionally, ha- and in different systems, that have played attractive football. So 
yeah, it's a balancing act, and it's a it's it's a whole as a, as a whole. You can definitely afford to have one Isaac Hayden um, in the team. You know, there'll, there'll be the likelihood is that Grant Hanley will be at centre back, and you know, technically, he's he's certainly he's certainly lacking compared to some of the world's leading centre backs. That doesn't mean that they're they're going to you know play direct football all the time. I mean, I, I I wouldn't rule it out. I think you know, as I said, I think Dean Smith. Isaac Hayden is the the perfect example of what Dean Smith wants, um, and that that probably changes things slightly. But just because they've signed Hayden, that isn't going to be them playing Route One football alone. Um, I think every good team needs that bit of ballast, and uh, Norwich have been lacking it, as you said, since since Skip went. So it's almost that sort of cliche and the right to play sort of thing. Uh, they didn't have the players to to do that. They didn't have the players to to match the physicality and the work rate of other teams before they could then um, play their football last season. So hopefully Isaac Hayden will bring that. Isaac Hayden will match the, the physicality brought by other championship teams and he'll, you know, he'll bring Norwich up to a par, you know, on those standings. And I'm sure Stuart Webber and Dean Smith would back themselves to to lead a, that squad to, to championship promotion with their technical quality. You heard it here first. Mario Vrancic better technically than N'Golo Kante. I'm pretty sure that's never, ever been uttered on a podcast before, but I absolutely love that we're the first one to do it. So uh, well done, Sam, for that. I'm, I'm sure everyone listening will completely agree with that. But I, I get your point and, and it's a right one to make as well. For me, it's it's about it's about balance. I think the amount of time that we looked at Norwich City midfield last season and it just didn't balance. You, you had someone like Billy Gilmore who wants to get on the ball and tip things over, but actually there probably wasn't the players in the round him, either the legs or the defensive nows to cover that off when he couldn't quite track back in the way that maybe Norwich City would have wanted him to or needed him to in the system that they opted to play. So it feels to me, Adam, like he's looked at an area of the squad. Obviously, there's a little bit of necessity to this as well, right? Because Norman Rupp and, uh, and Gilmore have all departed. But he's looked at that central area of the pitch uh, and it feels to me like he is attempting to address what was quite an imbalance last year because it was a midfield that didn't really affect things going forward, nor did it really stop goals going in at the other end. It was a, a, a relatively... Well, it was a weak spot for Norwich City. Maybe it was the weak spot. So... As a first move to address that issue, Isaac Hayden feels quite significant in terms of signings. He, he probably feels like a defensive midfielder, if you want to bracket it like that, was probably at the top or near to the top of most fans' wish list this summer. Yeah, I, I think he's probably top of my list. Obviously, Sorensen is the only one that I'd maybe put in that category of a slightly more defensive midfielder. But he doesn't really have that physical presence. I think he's a much better passer of the ball. But defensively, he's not necessarily... Sort of going to get nasty and, and make that really big tackle in in that moment of the game where you need to win the ball back. So I do think Norwich never replaced Skip. Obviously, that's ultimately what every fan noticed from from minute one last season. Matthias Norman, who they brought in to kind of try and fit that mould, just was not the defensive midfielder that Ollie Skip was. Ollie Skip, you know, mopped up everything. There was not a single player that really got past him. He just knew how to win the ball in the same way that Tate did, except Tate was a lot more um, clumsy, I'd say, in, in the way he picked up yellow cards. So, yeah, I think that is probably the kind of signing that Norwich needed. It's it's a big step forward and one that, for the Championship, I think the calibre of player they've got there as well is probably a step up from maybe what they've had as well in the past. I think Skip obviously was maybe a young player and nobody really expected him to be quite as good as he was. I think Isaac Hayden, I think we all know what we're going to get with him. Obviously, he's got promotions from the from the championship under his belt already. He's played quite a number of games in the Premier League as well. So he knows English football. He knows he's not necessarily experienced in the sense of um, he's not like a sort of a mid 30 year old, but he's still only, what is he, 27? So um, he's kind of getting towards that point where he's getting towards the peak of his career. And if he can keep himself injury free and have a really good season at Norwich and kick on, then I think, you know, there's a real bit of hope there this season that we've um, got sort of the complete midfielder that maybe we haven't had for quite a while in that defensive area. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like one that you'd kind of put under um, the good egg category, you know, when, when you have those players that every manager wants and, and that slow maintenance and uh, sets examples, maintains standards around the group. Uh, I, I think that is probably what Dean Smith is looking for with this edition. Of course, we've we've kind of seen that he's favoured since he's since he's come in quite an experienced spine to the team. He's kind of favoured Cruel. He, at times, he's, he's played Gibson and Hanley. He's 
played McLean and uh, and another Pookie was involved in that. The centre of the team was always quite experienced. And then maybe it was around that that he would introduce a John Rowe, a Tony Springer or, or whatever. So it, it to me feels like a solidification of that spine, but also an addition to an area of the pitch that felt quite unbalanced and was probably quite ineffective for Norwich City and that he probably wants a bit more physicality on. And like you say, that yellow card stat as well. What was the, the I'm trying to think of what game it was, but he, he made that statement, didn't he, about how uh, they, they played a certain amount of time in a game and hadn't picked up a yellow card. So that that's probably quite telling as well in terms of the insinuation that he felt he had a Norwich City team that sort of wilted under adversity, which is not a position that anyone wants to be in really. So Isaac Hayden in the door, the first one. Um, if we cover off transfer stuff very quickly, because I'm aware that a lot of our summer is going to be spent speaking about addressing transfers. So Sam, if I if I throw it over to you um, in terms of what else we're expecting, I think on the whole, it's it, we're probably expecting a relatively quiet window in terms of incomings on the, with the caveat, of course, that probably a lot of what Norwich City will do or, or may do is probably going to be around outgoings and a major sale, which of course they'll look to do this summer as they try and do every summer. Yeah, I, I think we all know the, the name that's most likely in that major sale category, and that's Max Ahrens. Um, you know, if they manage to shift him for a price that they're happy with, that really does um, significantly change the amount of business they can do. And I can I can see the positives to that more than I have before with the likes of Emmy Wendia, James Madison, um, you know, Ben Godfrey, the likes of those players. And I know that obviously the sale of Madison propped them up very well but the difference with Max Aarons is that he's a right back and um, you know he's not really in the Trent Alexander-Arnold mould of you know notionally being a right back but actually being one of the key players he's very he's a very very good right back one of the best Norwich have had um, probably ever but at the end of the day he's just very good at being a right back and if they can get that money it will go it will go quite far I think by championship standards, obviously we saw them get that wrong in terms of selling a, a star man in Emi Buendia last summer, and then not spread they they spread that money too thinly, really, and without getting enough quality to to really compete in the Premier League. But Emi Buendia was a star man; he was at the heart of every attack. He was grabbing the ball by the horns when it wasn't going right for Norwich. Um, you know, top of the assist chart, near the top of the goal scoring chart, and. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a different situation with Max Aaron's really. So I can understand why they'd look to do that, and you know it, it does pretty much look like a lot of their business hinges on that. Um, without that being done, then you know our our understanding is that it's, there's not going to be a lot of business, um, and that they'll probably continue to look quite heavily into the the loan market. Um, you know we've seen over the last couple of years with mixed levels of success that they've heavily favoured that that um approach of loan to buy agreements um obviously works quite well for them with Ben Gibson and, and Dimi Yunulis not so well with Ozan Kabak Matthias Norman um last season so yeah obviously Isaac Hayden is the first in the door he's the first with that sort of agreement in in mind obviously this is an obligation rather than an option but it does have those caveats that you suggested uh, with the you know the appearances and, and promotion likely involved in in those, so um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them enter the market in a similar way again. Um, but a lot of it does does hinge on those those exits. Yeah, I I, don't, I, I know loan loan moves and deals that get structured like this, Adam, tend to get quite a bit of flack because everyone every, like everyone wants a permanent player, right? And that is that is the ideal in every situation. But I don't actually mind this situation where you've got a player coming in who is on loan, but there's actually an option or an obligation based on certain, uh, with certain caveats to, uh, to, to make it permanent later down the line. It preserves the club kind of financially. It means that promotion then obviously it makes it a, a less risky deal than it would be right now to go out and sign a player for eight, nine million pounds, which it, it would have been in, in the instance of, of, of all these players most likely. Um, I know it's, it's uh, as Sam said, it's had varied success, but is there actually a lot of sense in terms of Norwich City structuring deals in this way, loans with with options or obligations to buy hinged on whether they get promoted or not? I'm personally quite a big fan of it. I think obviously Norwich could not fundamentally go out and buy Isaac Hayden in terms of the cost that he would demand or Newcastle would demand. So. Norwich effectively have got themselves a, a sort of bottom half Premier League player on loan in the Championship, which 
if they had to go out and maybe find a, a League One player that maybe fits the the bracket of where Norwich could afford to, or the sort of pond they could fish in to try and get a player, that player is not necessarily going to step up and, and make the mark. They probably have to go find that younger talent, a bit like what they've done with the likes of Ajolis or whatever that just has not worked out. And, you know, these kind of younger players that then you might think, oh, in the future, they might have a sell-on fee where Isaac Hayden, ultimately, if he's just a lone player, Norwich, even if he then go kicks on next season, he's ultimately still Newcastle's player unless Norwich have reached the the threshold to, to get him on a permanent deal. So there is obviously the pros and cons to it, but I personally think it's quite a good deal. I think it's an opportunity for Isaac Hayden. He's going to be hungry. He's going to be determined to keep himself fit you know, kick on and he knows that if he can get Norwich back to the Premier League and, and he can get himself in that starting eleven and, and makes enough appearances that he's ultimately back in the Premier League again. So there's an incentive for him personally and for Norwich as well to, to get that kind of player in. So yeah, I'm personally a big fan of it and I can see Norwich doing more of those kind of deals like they have done over the past few seasons. Spot on. Right, away from transfers, let's step onto the love train. Let's talk all things Alan Russell, uh, Norwich City's first specialist coach, first set-piece coach. He's been uh, appointed as part of uh, Dean Smith's coaching team. Uh, a fairly, um, well, really, really positive CV, actually. He worked with, with England. He was assistant manager formerly at Aberdeen um, under Stephen Glass, which didn't work too well for the pair of them. They were dismissed in, in February because of poor results. But um predominantly a, a striking coach. That's how he began his career. Now a, a kind of set-piece specialist coach who worked with England um, at the, the 2018 World Cup, where I think nine of the 12 goals they scored were set-pieces. And um, that infamous love train reference I speak about, I think it was christened that by, by Glenn Hoddle. Um, they scored a, a countless number of, of goals from from that particular routine. Um, most set-piece goals in the tournament. He also improved Aberdeen's quite Substantially, I mean, Sam, it's it's, bit, it's an area that Dean Smith has spoken about for a while as as, as wanting someone in. He, he worked with two set piece coaches at Brentford. He had Austin McPhee at Aston Villa, who uh, I, I think he would have really liked to bring bring to Norwich or brought to Norwich. Sorry, if if Stephen Gerrard wouldn't have have kept him around. It's an area that he likes. It's a, a, a member of his coaching team that he likes. And given Norwich City scored the fewest amount of uh, set piece goals in the Premier League last season, it's an area which, to to quote Dean Smith's words to you does seem to have a lot of untapped potential. Yeah, and they can definitely improve on that output. It's been something they've they've struggled with for a long time, really. I mean, I don't think they they struggled to defend set pieces um, to as great an extent as they did maybe two years ago. But yeah, it's, it's been a problem for a while, really, especially when you look at the, the aerial prowess of some of the players they've got in the box for those situations. You know, Grant Hanley, Ben Gibson, um, Andrew Ramadele obviously showed... Uh, from one of the few Norwich um, goals scored from set pieces last season that that he can do that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, getting somebody in who can can maximise the potential of those sorts of players will, will probably add a lot to, to Norwich next season. You know, we've been saying for years and they failed to do it really that Tony Pookie needs to have the, the burden, the goal scoring burden eased on him a little bit. And that's that's pretty much that's that's quite an easy way to do that really um you know it takes a lot of it's a lot of work to to find ways of midfielders scoring and, and creating from open play in different ways when there are set pieces there to be exploited and you know as as you outlined it's been a, a very important area that Dean Smith's looked at he's obviously been keen on getting a set po- set piece coach into to Norwich since his arrival so he'll be delighted to have uh to have Alan Russell and the CV suggests that he'll yeah, he'll he'll bring a lot, so I'm sure that that will that will be pleasing for for Norwich fans. Yeah, I wrote a, a piece on Alan Russell. You can read it on the on the Pink and Plus app about kind of him, uh, England's love train, a, a bit of a story around him, some of his work at Aberdeen as well. It was a completely different kind of routine that he implemented there. It was a bit more of a diamond rather than a than a straight line, um, and they had quite a bit of success with that. I think they 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 were at certainly at one stage leading the uh, set piece goals in, in in Scotland. So there's evidence that where Alan Russell goes, set piece goals follow, um, which from a Norwich City perspective is is good news and. As, as as we said, Adam, and, and Sam makes a really interesting point and a really good point there, actually, about easing the burden on Timu Puki. You look at some of the players that Norwich City have in their squad, they're probably players like, um, immediately off the top of my head, Grant Hanley, Ben Gibson, uh, Kenny McLean, who, of course, has scored from, from a corner against Manchester City before. There, there are players in there who we know do have aerial capabilities, but for whatever reason, be it by design, be it um, not very good deliveries, be it whatever you want to attribute it to, they they haven't scored many goals in that area and if they can get an advantage 
it has been shown to work. I mean, Brentford, for example, scored the third uh, most amount of set pieces in the Premier League last season. It was a, a really big factor into why they, they stayed in the Premier League. So it's big for the championship and getting out of that. But perhaps more widely, it can be a really important ingredient to perhaps a Premier League survival bid later down the line. Yeah, I think it's something that Norwich need to build off. Obviously, the championship is a lot more physical. There's a lot more taller present players in, in that league. So it's the kind of league that you need to be good at your set pieces, both from an attacking sense and a defending sense, because it's a way that you can win games. I mean, if you have a 90 minute corner and you can nick nick a, a free, you know, three points rather than one in, in a game with a one nil win, then that's the way you can go and, and clinch the title. And it's something that Norwich have been quite good at historically than in the past in the championship. They you know they've won games late late on sort of through their ability to to score a set piece or, or defend a set piece. So if they can utilise the likes of Grant Hanley and, and Ben Gibson, even on Bama Daly, I mean, he scored against Leeds this season. So there's an opportunity there to, to use those players and their aerial presence to to win games. Then Norwich need to capitalise on that and, and definitely build off that for, for the Premier League. And obviously Alan Russell, a man that I saw some quotes, you know, he's up till midnight, some nights studying set pieces. He's got a bit of a passion for it. I've never known anyone to really have a passion for set pieces, but this guy seems to be the only man maybe present in the world at the moment that does. So if Norwich have got him on board, then you might as well use that to your advantage. And and to me, that's you know, seems like a very astute appointment and one that I was quite pleased with. And as you said, you know, I think when he's been to other sort of clubs and or managed England or been part of the England management team as well, a lot of these sort of clubs and, and the countries have benefited from him being in the, in amongst it. So I think I think Aberdeen scored, I think it was five set-piece goals from their first 12 um, games last season. So if Norwich can kind of get a similar statistic in the championship, then that seems like a good way to to get this winning mentality back and, and by picking up some, some points through maybe scoring three set-pieces. We live Norwich City. The builder. The passion. The drama. The last minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. Yeah, and uh, and for all the, the brilliance that Daniel Farker brought to Norwich City, it was an area of the game that we never really saw them um, really excel at, certainly from an attacking perspective. And in those games where, um, and we all know what it's like in the Championship, it's a slog. There are games where your performance isn't quite where it needs to be. You are relying on fine margins or a moment or a goal just to change it, just to turn one point into three. And actually, a set piece is a a really good opportunity to do that. And actually, it, it probably goes under the radar a little bit that you look at all the top teams, as we spoke about earlier with defensive midfielders, actually, a lot of the top teams score a lot of goals from set pieces as well. So it's a, a part of the game that feels underutilised. And if this is Norwich City, as we know they have to do in whatever area, be it transfers, be it um, tactically, be it uh, in terms of youth development, they have to get small small wins, um, marginal gains. If this is another way of doing that, then that 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 to me um, seems like a positive. They're also recruiting for a psychologist as well, which is another position that, that Dean Smith wants to 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 add to his uh, to to his coaching team as well. Not coaching team, but add to his backroom staff as well, which um, feels quite significant given our earlier chat about mentality and how they shift that, particularly possibly around shifting a losing culture. Um, Sam, for for kind of all the criticism that we just to stay on set pieces for a moment, and then we'll move on to to other things. For all the criticisms that we gave of Norwich City last season and for all the things that they did poorly, um, which was a lot of football, let's be honest, um, there was there was um, probably a positive in the fact that certainly from defensive set pieces, they weren't terrible. I mean, they, they conceded the, I think there were six teams who conceded more from set pieces than them. I mean, that's not too bad by Norwich City standards. Um, so it, it does feel purely like Russell comes in with almost a, black, a blank canvas of what he wants to do, how he achieves it, but also there is probably a room for improvement at both ends, but at least he's building, I suppose, unlike from other areas of Norwich City's team at the moment, he's building from a relatively strong base. Is that is that fair to say, based on what they did there last season? Yeah, and a lot of that's to do with the, the sort of names we, we listed in terms of the uh, the players with aerial prowess, you know, Kenny McLean, um, Grant Handley, Ben Gibson, Andrew Ramadele, and 
yeah, a lot of them really. Um, I think that's probably because defensively it's more of a clear job really. Once you've got your zonal or, or your man marking sorted, you know your job on pretty much every opposition set piece. Whereas attack-wise, you're looking more at different ways to be creative with it and different setups to disrupt um, You know, high-level defences, which are going to be set up really well to deal with the most basic of set pieces. So I think probably what Alan Russell is, is bringing to the table most is ideas and the ability to, to generate ideas given a, a set of players to work with. Obviously, he's, he's done that at England and he didn't rest on his laurels and just try and do exactly the same thing at, at Aberdeen. But, you know, because he would have looked at their strengths and, you know, other other factors around that and, and said, OK, that, that same bus stop or, or love train method isn't going to work here. I need to do something different. And I'm sure that's what he'll do at Norwich. He'll look at the personnel that he has. He'll look at the, the capabilities that certain players have and, and fit them, you know, generate ideas based on that knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's probably the difference between attacking and defensive. It's probably much more clear and, and and simple to to defend a set piece than it is to find ways to score from one um and that's where that expert knowledge is going to come handy with come in handy with with russell um coming to carrow road obviously dean smith is, is is open to those ideas um i'm sure he he will have some of his own but it shows i uh, i think uh, a strength of delegation to to be able to admit that he doesn't have all the answers and that he'll he'll bring in other people i think that was a weakness of, of daniel farker's management probably was that he had, you know, yes, he had his people that he trusted, but it was quite a closed club in terms of who he would allow in to, to help him do that job. Um, and Dean Smith bringing in Alan Russell to do that, I think, shows a strength. It's constant innovation as well, isn't it, with that particular type of coaching? Because once you find a way that's cracked the code, people adapt to it. They find ways to counter it. And I suppose that's coaching generally, but particularly with set pieces, if you've got a really effective method, suddenly people latch onto that, particularly in the age of, of video analysis and, and and numbers at everyone's fingertips. I think it's, it's relatively easy to to see where teams are getting those gains and getting those those margins now as well. So part of Alan Russell's job, which hasn't perhaps been discussed um, really at length, is the fact that it's always going to change. It's always going to evolve. He's going to have to constantly find answers to different solutions. And that's going to be something that I find really interesting. But um, I, I think we we probably need to lump on Grant Hanley being top scorer or near the top of the, the goal scoring list next season, right? If he can uh, if he can improve his output from 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 set pieces, that's going to be very interesting. It's um it, it's the second kind of pillar of a week of of real news for for Norwich City. Um, the third one, Andrew Amabamadeli's contract. I mean, this is one that we've we've been expecting. We're probably expecting a couple more in in the next couple of weeks, but um. Adam, really positive, isn't it? Because when we when we talk about Max Aaron's and asset building and youth development, it does feel like if you're going to look at the next one off the production line, it does feel like it's Andrew Amabamadeli with the performances that we've seen on the pitch, which although feels like quite a lot, is still quite a limited number, really. I think he he played, um, he didn't play many games this season, only played seven at the back end of the championship campaign. Um, but everything we've seen has made probably everyone in the Norwich City sphere think hang on a second we've got a player on our hands here yeah just the, the 14 games for Norwich in his professional senior career so far so he is relatively inexperienced obviously he has now got himself in the the island fold as well so that's obviously another positive for him but ultimately last season was disappointing just from an injury perspective for him because I do feel like he would have got more opportunities and obviously he's not really had that chance to impress Dean Smith yet even on the training pitch because he's obviously been out with injury so I do feel like next season's a big year for him if he can keep himself fit. I mean, you look at Ben Godfrey in the championship in in that title winning season in eighteen nineteen and and how good he became and how better like as a better player he became through the development of the championship, just playing week in week out. So if Andron Bamadeli can get something similar, then I think in terms of the physicality, I think he's actually probably bigger and, and physically stronger than what Godfrey was. So. To me, that if you can maybe build him alongside a Grant Hanley as an experienced pro, just to give him those tips in the games that, you know, effectively Norwich, you'd imagine, will go and dominate quite a lot of games with the squad they're going to have in the championship. It, it takes the pressure off him a little bit and, and gives him an opportunity to to play his game as he wants to. And, you know, he's good passing. He can pass from the back as well. So if he can get those, spring the balls forward and, and get Norwich on the attack, then I think there's a player there to build from next season. He just needs to keep himself fit. That That's obviously going to be the main goal for him next season. Yeah, I remember speaking to someone when he when he broke through who said to me that he was he was ahead of where Ben Godfrey was physically at the same age, which is fairly frightening, really. Um, but 
all all of the components, Sam, that you want in a centre back, doesn't he? He's 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 almost one of those centre backs that just makes everything look relatively effortless. Which to do that at a young age is is really quite impressive. And I suppose from Norwich City's perspective, I'm always slightly concerned with back injuries in young players. But part of that could be growth. Which if he grows any more, then he's gonna he's gonna be quite the aerial threat. Um, but he has all of the components to become a top player. It now feels like it's down to Dean Smith and his coaching team to mould him into whatever they want to be. But to f- sort of move this forward to next season, it does feel like there's probably a vacancy next to Grant Hanley in the back line. Yeah, and that's probably more to do with Ben Gibson's plight in the last few weeks than it is um, anything else. But yeah, he has he has all the aspects and it's interesting that you brought up that the fact that he makes things look effortless because the first name that came to my head when I was thinking about players that look like that was, was Virgil van Dijk. And there are times when you watch him playing for Liverpool. Um, has he, has he, he looked, got better technical ability than Virgil van Dijk? I, I don't think I'm going to say that, to be honest. Um, I think that would be probably a risk too far for my own integrity. But um, I think, I think yeah, there are times when you watch Liverpool and van Dijk looks almost like the laziest player on the pitch because he just looks like he's, he's strolling around and there's a similar... A similar vibe sometimes about Omar and his his movement. Um, a very intelligent player, and I think that's actually the main difference. Um, I think you both just spoke about the physical um, difference between Godfrey and Omar at, at this age. I think Omar is probably quite far ahead in terms of um, you know his 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 brain in the game, and I think he reads the game quite a lot better than than Godfrey did at, at this age, and and his positioning is quite a lot better. That was the a, a big downfall for Norwich in the 2019-20 season was, yes, Godfrey was was great when he, you know, when it was last ditch and there was only one option and he had to block the ball or he had to sprint back to be in a certain position or he, he had to clear it off the line. I think those subtle um, positional adjustments are probably where Amabamadele thrives over a lot of players his age. He's, he's, he plays like somebody that's got a lot more appearances than he has and that's why... I think a lot of Norwich fans feel like he's had much more of a career than he has. I, I, I wrote his report card and it, I can't remember um, his exact number of Norwich appearances, but I believe it's less than 20, which which is really strange to, to think about, especially when you saw the, the reaction to that contract news. But yeah, I think he can he can go so far. And um, yeah, truth is, if he realises his potential, he won't be a, a Norwich player in, in two or three years' time and, and this contract won't won't get seen out. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It does feel like he's played a lot more football than than he has um, at, at, at his young age. Um, not really sure why why that feels like it's the case, but it, it definitely does. Um, but maybe that's a testament to the impact that he's had in a relatively short period of time because he, he came in, obviously, in that game against Preston where Norwich City had a lot of players who had just come back from international duty. There was that um, utterly mad turnaround in fixtures the the, the EFL got wrong um, and never really looked back from there and has always looked quite composed and quite intelligent and almost had a bit of the Max Aarons about him where once he got in it, it never really felt like he was going to come out again or, or head out on loan it kind of felt like he was he was ready in the here and now which is which is unbelievably exciting at the age that he is and his ceiling does feel really significant now it's obviously about making sure that that potential transfers into something and, and we see that from in performances regularly and as uh, as we've already spoken about it does feel like there's probably a slot in the back four for him to do it which maybe negates the need for Norwich City to dip into the transfer market and and add a centre-back to, to what they have already because he in many ways because he missed the second half of the season feels like a he's in that cliched feels like a new signing kind of bracket but also is young enough to to learn, develop, maybe dip in and out if need be as well next season. So I'm very, I'm very excited for, for Andrew Mabamadeli and to watch him because I think as we've discussed, his um, his ceiling is absolutely enormous and his, uh, his development is going to be absolutely fascinating to, uh, to see how it transpires. Right, gents, I mean, we're, we're going to fly off to Brazil now to the to Curlatiba to talk about uh, Nori City's new um, link-up. It is a... Uh, kind of a, a football link up. I think the, the idea, certainly from what I can gather, is this is based on um, Norwich City stepping up their recruitment efforts in South America. It's about 
obviously that's a market that they've um, they've scouted. They've they've scouted individual countries. They've looked at the area more broadly. Um, they they have scouts based in in the region now um, because of obviously the the change in in rules after after Brexit and and the possibility to sign more players from that area. Um, it, it's almost like we, with one door closing, and you can view that as like the Scandinavian market, for example. Another one opens. The South American market is now much more available than it than it was. Norwich City are, are hoping to to benefit from that. This feels to me like an opportunity to gain access, certainly from what I can understand, to Cortiba's um, recruitment network, to their data, to the analytics, to um, their base, their knowledge of South American football, which obviously will be far ahead of what Norwich Cities are, even a, three years into their their expedition, I suppose, in, in, in this part of the world. But also, I, I do wonder, this is me just, just kind of um, thinking out loud, whether there's an element of, if Norwich City do sign a South American talent who is unable to get a work permit or doesn't qualify for a work permit perhaps there's the opportunity for them to be sent on loan to this club who are seventh in the Brazilian um, top flight so they're no minnows by any extent but we'll come to Adam first and then we'll, we'll go to Sam on this so, so Adam what, what are your thoughts on on this tie-up it's it, it's an interesting one it's not one that's been that's too common I mean Norwich have had these partnerships before and they've kind of popped up and then seem to evaporate and disappear in the background not long after, we don't really hear much about them. This has been given quite a bit of fanfare by by Stuart Webber. Some of some of his quotes, um, he described this as a new and exciting relationship um, that will allow Norwich to continue their development and reach into new territories. Uh, speaks about Brexit, mutually beneficial for both clubs over the coming weeks, months, and years. This feels like a long term tie up, doesn't it? So, is this something that will excite? fans uh, I mean it's, it's a difficult one isn't it because of what we've seen in the past as I mentioned with with previous types I'm sure people will remember Palmer or, or we could list several other clubs yeah I think the excitement will come if, if something comes up this partnership at the moment it's very hard to to really tell because a lot of people are quite unaware of really what benefits is going to have for Norwich but in terms of recruitment if Norwich can dip themselves into that South American market where there is quite a lot of value and if you can pick out a little bit of a gem and he turns out to become a, a relatively decent star whether that be at the championship or Premier League level then there's obviously money to be made and, and let's face it that is at the moment the sort of core value of Norwich City Football Club is, is to find these talents develop them and sell them on for more money so obviously we all know a certain South American that turned out to be quite good for Norwich City not that he came from South America directly but Emmy Buendia and I, I look at Watford I mean they're a similar stature club to Norwich and They've obviously had Richarlison originally come through and then they obviously more recently Jao Pedro that I think both those talents they bought for obviously a lot, lot less and sold on for, or Jao Pedro is still there, but obviously he'll have a further sell-on value for Watford than what they paid. So I think if Norwich can kind of extract that kind of talent and ultimately develop them, sell them on, then there's definitely something positive to be had from it. And obviously the culture over in Brazil is is going to be drastically different from a recruitment sense and a, a sort of football coaching management sense. And if Norwich can even just get little snippets of sort of elements of sort of their sort of way they deal with football and the strategy, then I think that's definitely positive to, to bring to Norwich, especially if they want to sort of play that more attractive football, which obviously notoriously is is well known to be played in Brazil. Sam, what, what are your thoughts on, on this tie-up? It's, it's, it's certainly an interesting one, isn't it? It's, it's an eyebrow-raising one. And it's one that, as, as Adam says, it's really hard to comment on what this looks like until we know the exact details of, of what it really entails. But just off the bat, from kind of what's been said and what's been announced so far, what, what's your kind of thoughts and reflections on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sceptical. I think the announcement from the club said a lot about how how great the partnership is going to be but it didn't really say how it just you know there was a lot of quotes you know this will help us do this and this and this but yeah not really a lot of tangible content in terms of what it's actually going to look like um you know and we see these sorts of things these partnerships quite a lot you know you look at the um Tampa Bay Rowdies um partnership for example and I know that's more of a commercial one but how often do we actually hear about the Tampa Bay Rowdies apart from when you know Norwich starts stocking their replica shirts in the club shop or you know go for a, a, an Easter break there to do some training so you know I'm open to being surprised but yeah it doesn't look right now like we're gonna really find out for a little while what this might actually look like um you know and I'm sure there will be there will be things being done. There would have been no point in them exploring this partnership and announcing it if it wasn't going to make at least some sort of difference. But 
yeah, I would have probably appreciated a bit more um, explanation as to what it looked like in the club's announcement. Obviously, we haven't had the opportunity to to ask the question as to what that might look like. And yeah, it's just all, at the moment, it's all just saying how great it's going to be. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of it. It's hard to come down on either side um, at the moment. We might just have to, to give it time. And then if we see a couple of... of Great examples, a couple of great South American players coming through the Norwich ranks. We might know where that's come from. If we hear nothing for the next two years, then then that's probably fair to, to, to criticise that. Yeah, I guess the, the one that makes this different from, say, the Tampa Bay type is that was always very much advertised as kind of a commercial tie-up. This is very much a football tie-up, which is the interesting thing. I'm not sure. I'm sure people will, will get in touch and correct if I'm wrong. I'm not sure if Norwich have... I'm sure they must have had had a an official football tie up and and one that is maybe with a view to to kind of sharing recruitment resources and stuff like that. That is that's quite feels like it could be quite innovative. But like you, Sam, I think that there's probably a, a degree of of scepticism of um, having seen partnerships like this pop up and disappear and, and disappear as quickly as they pop up. So um, I think that scepticism is is natural. I'm not sure it will really excite fans at this moment in time it will only really excite fans if it results in an uplift on the pitch and an improvement in performances and that's going to be very difficult to say uh, to tell unless like you say there's there's some South American talent who who comes in and, and really left, uh, lifts the quality threshold in the team it, it does to me feel like at the moment South America's maybe a, a more of a, a market for younger players than kind of first team players um, at, at this moment in time if that changes in in a few seasons' time, we'll have to see. But um, all very interesting stuff. Um, to, to end the pod, gents, and I, I apologise for kind of springing this on you, but it's something that has, has come into my mind. Um, we, we've, of course, had the the kind of Proud Canaries um, stuff that has, has come out in, in the last week. Of course, Norwich City did a, a home for it or launched their home for everyone campaign around homophobia. It involved um, a, a video which included the, the Proud Canaries. Kenny McLean was in it, hosted by by Darren Eady. It was an initiative by the club designed to kind of um, highlight in quite raw fashion um, the impact of homophobic language and abuse and slurs. Um, And there was probably, I think it's fair to say that there was a tweet that has, that that angered quite a fair bit, not just of of, of the proud Canaries who obviously slam back against it, but also of portions of the LGBTQ plus community um when they just tweeted the wall which was essentially just the wall in um before it had kind of had paint thrown over it that included all the slurs in kind of uncensored form there was questions about why some words were chosen why some words were omitted it was all a little bit cloudy but sam i mean um it's obviously a very serious issue that that we're not going to go too depth into because i'm very conscious that we're probably not the right demographic to really be talking about how it impacts or affects us right so that does make it a little bit more more challenging but by the same token it it did feel to me when i saw that tweet i, I remember thinking ah, it's not going to go down well and it kind of feels like i, I don't want to broaden this out and really use it as like an attack line at uh, the comms strategy because it's not that at all but it just it just didn't feel well executed when in reality I think the idea behind it was well intentioned and also extremely positive yeah that's the the exact thing really isn't it you can see what they were they were trying to do and you can see that the intentions were good but the execution was just really poor um and I like like many would have got that notification Norwich City tweeted this and thought why on earth did you need to to give those words at a platform like that um so yeah i was i was very surprised um and i think there is room in certain campaigns to do that whole you know shock people at first and then give them context and everyone goes ah but that that isn't the time to to do that sort of thing i don't think it's a very serious issue and um a very contentious issue with with the potential to to upset a lot of people um and I don't know if that was very well thought through. A, a phrase I've seen um, talked about a lot around this is, uh, I think, not not about us without us. Not, 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 yes, yes, that's it. Um, and 
I think that that probably sums up the situation. Uh, Proud Canaries are saying that, although I think um, some of their members were involved in it, they weren't. They didn't have the whole picture as to what that com strategy would look like. Um, worth saying, I think that they've now deleted that tweet with no context of the the, the slurs. So they've obviously seen that um, that was a mistake. But yeah, I think you have to you have to defend the intentions because they were they were trying their their best um, to to highlight issues and to to address a, a problem in football. Um, yeah, the execution was just really poor, and and they probably should have um, seeked a little bit more consultation from people that 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 know better than the people that were probably in charge of making those decisions. Yeah, it, it it is a tough one, and I suppose you you have to to an extent give them credit for recognizing that that tweet was ill timed, um, poor in poor taste, and uh, and rectifying it, deleting it, um, and obviously respecting the the views and uh, and seeking the counsel of people who are very prominent in that community and do know how those words impact people and and what they're like. But you're right, it was well-intentioned it just felt poorly executed and, and that's a shame because it's a really important campaign and of course it follows on at a time where we've just had a, a professional footballer come out as as gay for the first time in in a long time and it feels like a, a real watershed moment for for football and homophobia I mean a, a real positive that has been missed because of this whole um, saga with, with that particular tweet is that we had a, a member of Norwich City's men's first team on camera speaking about homophobia in football I, I can't remember the last time that happened it's something really significant it should be um, noted it should be something that is regarded as an important step but it came in front of a a wall full of slurs that hadn't been covered up by the mural which perhaps should have happened in the reverse order but um, you know it it is what it is it's done what it was done and and, and as we said well-intentioned but poorly executed Um, there we go gents thank you very much for joining me I think that that rounds off the podcast nicely we're going to bring these to you I mean, it's hard to promise that we'll bring you one next week. We're obviously kind of dependent on what happens the week before and making sure that we actually have stuff to talk about because um, I'm sure you wouldn't want us rambling about any any old nonsense as as uh, as proven maybe by the start of this pod. But as and when there's, there's something significant to talk about, we will bring it to you um, in podcast form. We always like doing these for you and keeping you updated throughout the summer where there's a little less uh, football, obviously, to talk about. We should, of course, all be enjoying a World Cup at the moment, but um, we're, we're not due to... Due to um, FIFA's decision making processes which is a whole other podcast for another day um, but anyway subscribe to the Pink and Plus app we've got all of the content all of the uh, the transfer news everything that happens throughout this summer as we build up to the start of pre-season and uh, yeah we'll see you again very very soon